Hi everyone, this is Hot of the Cloud by Cloudonaut and we are your hosts Andreas and Michael. And this is our weekly show that is all about AWS. Um, we have the latest AWS news from the past week and we have um, also your questions. So if you have any AWS related questions, feel free um, to send them in over the week using the hashtag um, ask cloud on out, or uh, in case you're joining us live, just use the chat um, to ask your questions there, and we will do our very best to answer them uh, at the end of the show. Um, before we start, Michael, so uh, I want to highlight um, one piece of content that we dropped um, last week, which is um, another volume of the Builder's Diary. So the Builder's Diary is our series about uh, practitioners who are building stuff on AWS, who are solving real-world problems on AWS. And um, I interviewed uh, Peter Wright from TechRacer, and I was talking with him about serverless ETL, um, which, which comes down to um, Athena, um, S3, and um, either Step Functions or Airflow, to orchestrate um, ETL pipelines, basically to prepare the data for data analytics or machine uh, learning workloads. So um, check out the show notes um, for a link uh, pointing you to the Builders Diary. I think this was a very interesting um, episode. Yes, Andreas. Maybe something else that happened last week um, is that we... Um, kind of restarted the user group in our uh, city, which is uh, in Stuttgart, Germany. So this was the first time after we stopped um, running uh, on-site meetups because of um, the pandemic. And it is actually not so easy to restart an AWS user group. So um, people are not <laughs> used anymore to go there every month. So it, I think it will take us a couple of months until we have enough people who are kind of trained to... Um, um, yeah, learn something about AWS every month. So if you are by any chance uh, from the Stuttgart region, then uh, check out the AWS user group in Stuttgart. And <laughs> if you are from a different city in a different country or different continent, um, AWS has a great website where all the meetups are listed. And if you are uh, interested in learning something about AWS uh, while talking to other people, um, then this is really a good a good place to, to do that. And uh, there are usually great talks. And then there is... Uh, enough time to to talk to other users and and learn about their challenges and their um, also their successes and uh, so that's really a cool thing. So if you are um, uh, interested in that, check out the AWS user groups and the link will be in the uh, the show notes. And then Andreas, we we also released something, right? Do you want to talk about it or? Yes. So yeah, yeah. Last week we released a new version of Bucket AV, which is our solution to scan S3 buckets for malware. And basically, what we released is um, Bucket AV is now um, accepting a custom message format, which means basically you can send your own messages. Basically, use an SQS QSD API to uh, integrate Bucket AV with your own uh, applications. And um, um, on top of that, we also launched uh, EventBridge, an EventBridge integration, which means you can also now use the EventBridge notifications for new objects in S3 buckets and use that to trigger a real-time scan. So that's um, basically the release from uh, the past week. 
All right. And I'm, I'm very excited about the, the custom message format because this kind of provides us a lot of possibilities in the future to do um, cool things um, um, when we talk uh, reporting. So lots of our customers uh, ask or are asking for better reporting capabilities. And, and this is a step um, in the background that is needed that, that we can deliver that. So that's really cool. Uh, looking forward to implement some of those uh, reporting things as well. All right. Last week, uh, Andreas, I talked about the Athena Query Engine version 3. And I, I, I think what I said was that it is very easy to switch from version 2 to version 3. All the queries still run. Uh, turns out that's not really correct because I, I figured out a couple of queries that are not running anymore. So I downgraded uh, our workspace um, back to version 2. So basically what we have is we have a Grafana dashboard that shows us some uh, metrics, um, mostly from AWS Marketplace uh, reports. And um, I would say I think two or three out of 10 queries are not, are not working anymore. And the error message was so unspecific that I was not uh, <coughs> kind of able to fix it within uh, a, a couple of minutes. So I just um, reverted back to version two. And yeah, that's kind of a correction. So. Uh, be careful when upgrading to version 3, not only because of the performance, but also because of <laughs> your existing queries. <laughs> yeah, I have a follow-up um, regarding the monitoring VPCs and the network address um, usage units. Um, so we talked about that, uh, I think, two shows before, and um, there's one thing that uh, came to my mind. So I thought, oh, it's important to monitor those metrics to make sure you're not hitting any limits. Um, but what I noticed, and um, Stefan on, on Twitter um, <laughs> mentioned that to me, um, is the problem that this metric is only per VPC. So it's not per subnet. So you could run into a an, an shortage of IP addresses in, in one of your subnets without noticing it. So this is um, not helpful in, in that regard. So it might make sense to monitor those metrics, but I think you can only hit those metrics when you really run very, very large uh, workloads on AWS. So for most of us, it's probably not too important um, to monitor those new VPC uh, network address usage metrics. That's my follow-up. So um, one of the announcements is um, SQS announces an increased throughput quota for uh, FIFO high throughput mode to 6,000 transactions per second. So um, I thought this is interesting because um, I was actually thinking of one of the issues that we have with, with Marbot. So our AWS monitoring solution, Marbot, is a serverless application. It uses a Kinesis data stream. So basically, we collect all incoming messages, alarms, notifications from our customers, and we very quickly uh, store them in the Kinesis stream. And then we have uh, Lambda functions that are processing those events. That's a very high o level overview of our serverless architecture. And um, what I think what the issue we have with this approach is that it's quite costly <laughs> because you have to provision those Kinesis shards and it's it's on the un, on the one hand it's possible to basically auto scale the number of shards, but in our use case, um, this doesn't uh, work too um, very good. And also, the minimum <laughs> that you have one shard is already uh, quite expensive. So I thought maybe the SQS. Um, so so first of all, the the first in first out queues um, have a very similar behavior than our Kinesis data stream. 
um, because it's a, they kind of guarantee the order. And now that they're increasing the throughput, um, I was thinking about maybe this would be an, uh, an alternative for us to replace Kinesis data streams. And I looked it up, the numbers. So what is uh, Kinesis data stream capable of? And uh, what I found is that one shard, so each stream can consist of, I don't know if there's a limit, so you basically scale by adding more and more shards. And, and one shard uh, supports up to 1,000 records per second for writes. So um, with, with one queue, with one SQS, um, first in, first out queue, um, you basically, in, in, from what I understand, you can replace uh, six Kinesis uh, shards, roundabout probably, some, some, some details probably <laughs> not included here. Um, and I was just thinking about maybe this would be an option. And um, so in case our system grows to uh, more than 6,000 transactions per second, uh, it would also be possible to just add multiple uh, few, uh, queues. So not use one, but to use, I don't know, two, three, and have event, um, how's it called? Um, event subscriptions for, for all those and point them to the same Lambda function, which should, in theory, work as well. So yeah, this was just my, my thoughts about uh, this announcement. I don't know if you have any objections or ideas on that, Michael. No, I don't. Um, so I think that that could be possible. Um, so I think it would reduce our monthly cost quite significantly. Yeah, I mean, um, the the thing, as you mentioned, with Kinesis Data Stream is that it's not really, I mean, it's not fully pay-per usage. So uh, if you're not using it, you'll still pay for the short hour. And yeah, mm. so that's definitely a good fit if you want to be more like pay-per request. So, Andreas, I looked into um, a news that, that uh, was um, announcing that you can now access AWS or basically as uh, SSM parameters and secrets from Secrets Manager uh, using a Lambda extension. So, at the moment, if you are uh, or if you try to uh, get a, a value from Parameter Store from Secrets Manager, and what you can do is in your Lambda function, you can just make the API call and get the value back. I mean, that's possible. But usually that's not the best implementation. So usually you implement caching. So every now and then, like for example, every minute or every five minutes, you reach out to again to the service and update the value that you have in, in your uh, in memory because you don't want to um, make the call every time the Lambda is invoked because... For example, Secrets Manager API, first you have a rate limit and second it's expensive. So that's why you implement caching. All right, and I think someone at AWS thought, okay, let's solve this problem for all our customers. And uh, that's what they kind of announced. And then I looked into the details a little bit and then it um, um, is um, some interesting uh, things here to note. First, this feature is implemented as a Lambda layer. So what is a Lambda layer? Um, basically, when you deploy your Lambda function, you can add layers. Um, and those layers are kind of added to the functionality of your function. A layer can include code, but it can also include a, a, an extension. And basically what an extension is, is, it offers an HTTP interface. And in the case of the parameters and secrets Lambda ex extension, by default, it listens on port um, 2773. And then from your code, you make an HTTP request to localhost uh, on this port. And then there's some like URL, uh, like some path that you have to um, specify. And then the 
extension reaches out to the API, like the Secrets Manager or um, SSM, fetches the value and, for example, caches the value for you for um, a configurable amount of, um, I think it's seconds. So all the configuration happens over environment variables, so you can turn off uh, the caching entirely, you can control the time to live of each item and a couple of other things. Um, yeah, I'm not a big fan of all these kind of plugin customization stuff that is actually that runs in your AWS account and so kind of by definition you are responsible for fixing problems. Uh, so I would like a more native integration of this feature um, because I think it's actually more complicated to deploy this extension uh, instead of just implementing it on your own because you also have to think about how do you test this. And then you have an SDK to mock up and here you have this HTTP endpoint to mock and it's different kind of technology. So it, it makes things more complicated. So I'm not fully convinced. Uh, so I'm not using it at the moment and I don't have a use case. Uh, but if you are making lots of parameters or accessing lots of parameters and secrets from Lambda, then probably um, this is something f uh, to check out. Um, the biggest problem that I had in the documentation from AWS, they they I mean, if you're not using extensions, then I mean, how should I know that I have to make an HTTP call to localhost on this port 2773? <laughs> I don't know. It's not mentioned in the docs. <laughs> so the, the host and port is kind of missing. They only document the path. So uh, you have to figure this out first and then you can use it. But yeah, you can also change the port, by the way. It's also uh, configurable. All right, Andreas, that's it. That's the Lambda extension news. <laughs> Yeah, so I heard about others complaining about that as well, that it's not really a new feature of the service, but it's basically kind of a additional thing that you can deploy with a Lambda layer. There's uh, someone mentioned um, um, Lambda Power Tools, which is which has probably a similar issue, <laughs> which should also be a feature, but it's not. So I think, um, yeah, it seems a little bit like they're blocked releasing the feature in any other way and then this is their workaround um, instead of fixing it for the customer they are going the shortcut it seems um, yeah the next thing I want to talk is the uh, a service that you might not have heard about <laughs> which is the Amazon interactive video service which now includes web and mobile SDKs for stream chat so I remember having a look into this service when it was brand new which is about two years ago and um, one thing that I was disappointed um, when I looked into it was that there were no SDKs. There was no way um, that you can Im could embed um, the video stream and chat into a web application. So basically, what is Interactive Video Service about? It's basically what we are doing on YouTube right now, a YouTube live stream. And that's basically... Um, um, the service from, from AWS to do the same. So it's for uh, streaming video um, with uh, adaptive bitrate uh, at low latency. That's the promise. Uh, and you basically pay only when you use it. That's interesting. So, um, yeah. Um, and, and, of course, there's no ads and stuff like on YouTube. So <laughs> that might be a cool thing. And you can, of course, I don't know, have a paywall in front of it and stuff. Um, yeah, but now, so they included an SDK and you can, um, so I looked into the SDK very quickly and it seems uh, it, it looks very easy to use. So you can basically now build your own chat at the side of your video 
Um, and um, yeah, that's now integrated and comes with an SDK that you can use when building a, a JavaScript application. There's also an iOS version and an Android version as well. So that looked quite cool. Um, maybe we should have a look into that uh, another time and stream <laughs> on Amazon Interactive Video Series in the future instead of YouTube, or maybe in addition. <laughs> Um, the other thing that uh, the announcement that caught my attention was the IAM Identity Center, which was formerly SSO, adds session management features for improved user experience and cloud security. And basically what we have now in the Identity Center is um, we can now configure the session um, duration. And um, I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. What happens when I change the session duration? So you can... I think uh, before that, default was eight hours, and now you can adjust it. And I tried to do so, um, but I actually I could not see the effect. I, I don't know why. Maybe I'm missing something. Um, and also, I was wondering if the um, AWS CLI integration that fetches those um, credentials for your terminal, uh, if that applies the session limit applies to that as well. It doesn't seem so, <laughs> at least from what I've tested. And then I tested the second feature, which is you can now basically delete sessions of a user. So you can go to a user, show the active sessions and delete those, which is uh, interesting. For example, when you very quickly have to remove a user and you don't want to have any sessions flying around. Uh, I tried that as well. I deleted my session, but... Um, I was still locked into the AWS Management Console. I was still locked into um, the the portal, the SSO portal. So I'm not sure whether this feature is actually working. At least I couldn't get it to work. So maybe, um, I don't know, maybe it's something I'm doing wrong or something that is wrong with the feature. I'm not sure about that. I should open probably a support ticket uh, for that. Okay, that sounds uh, cool. <laughs> Um, the next thing that that I was um, like testing um, basically when I saw the announcement is that uh, the AWS Management Console now supports a dark mode. So I mean, a couple of years ago, I think Apple released something called the dark mode. So it is basically a way to kind of flip all your uh, or the whole UI into um, like from white to black kind of uh, dominated background uh, colors. So I think the promise is that it's for some people easier to read and, and stuff like this. Um, and I think it took uh, AWS a couple of like maybe four years or so to kind of implement this in the uh, in their UI as well. And it's now in beta. And um, it I, like I just visited all the services that I have in my like the the favorites bar, and it it is not working for IAM and step functions at the moment. And so those are still white. So I think what I really don't like is that if you are kind of browsing everything in dark mode and then you push a button and then everything, boom, goes white, then this is really annoying. <laughs> so I hope you will clean this up soon. And I think, Andreas, you mentioned that there's probably a bug when you use Safari. So every time you visit a new service, it flashes quickly and turns white and then mm -hmm. black. So... I think like it's 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 definitely um interesting to see that that I or we think that it it, it this was quite a, a big effort for AWS to implement this across all their services and teams and so so this is yeah 
a challenge. Um, so, so, so if someone if someone wants to leak the hours that went into this feature, <laughs> I would be very interested in that. <laughs> I guess it's much, much, much too many hours spent on an unimportant feature. Okay, um, um, but besides that, um, I looked into another announcement, which is AWS Nitro Enclaves is now supported on AWS Graviton. So. To be honest, so I looked into the Nitro Enclaves documentation and I don't get all of it. <laughs> so it's it's quite complicated to understand what's going on there. So um, the management summary is those Nitro Enclaves are separate um, virtual machines um, emulated in a way on the hardware um, that is um, separating them from the rest of the virtualization in a very secure way. So that's basically the management summary in my own words. <laughs> and so I think um, Apple is doing similar things with their security enclave that holds stuff like your fingerprint and th uh, stuff. So I think this is kind of a trend to have. Uh, I think it's also, um, some, some of that is also implemented in hardware and uh, they're making sure that uh, you have more secure parts of your uh, machines. And I thought, okay, so what is the announcement here? So the announcement is that we now have it on Kraviton as well, which was missing. So basically now most of the instance types support those Nitro enclaves. And um, basically to use them, you um, use a part of your virtual machine, your part of an EC2 instance and define that this should be um, the Nitro enclave belonging to the parent instance. That's what they, they named the whole thing then. And I thought, okay, what's the possible use case for that? So they list some use cases to yeah, process very um, data with high security requirements and stuff like that. But I think the uh, one of the um, yeah, use cases I found that, that could be really interesting is that the AWS Certificate Manager for Nitro Enclaves allows you to use um, uh, ACM certificates from AWS, not only for your load balancers and stuff, but also on an EC2 instance. And the way that works is it uses a Nitro enclave, it, uh, it runs the service there, and basically um, what then um, uh, another um, uh, operating service that you install is doing is it basically copies <laughs> the latest certificate to your Nginx or Apache configuration. So they have basically built a, a small service that you can install um, from the packages, uh, which is then updating your local certificates uh, on a regular basis. Uh, so that's how it works. And it uses the Nitro Enclave to connect basically um, with um, the certificate manager. And by that, AWS has control over that whole pipeline and um, is able to basically allow you to use those certificates uh, on your machines. So this could be an interesting use case, I would say. Uh, Andreas, I have one one thing that I I was um, like last week, or, or I was reading a cloud cost report from a company that does cloud cost uh, analyzation for their customers, mm -hmm. and for their customer base, they uh, calculated that one percent of EC2 workloads run run on Graviton at the moment, <laughs> and twenty percent mm -hmm. on AMD based <laughs> instances, and the rest <laughs> runs on Intel. And that was really okay. i mean it's not it it's it's just their their customer base uh, but mm -hmm. it's still it's interesting so I was expecting a, a definitely higher share of of graviton instances across um, mm -hmm. me too me too <laughs> okay 
So then maybe the nonsense is not too important. It's at least important to me because my machines run on Graviton. Yeah, this was just like a fun, fun uh, like fun fact kind of thing. It's uh, and and like lots of workloads run on very old instance types. So <laughs> this is just I think it <laughs> probably I mean, yeah it takes a long time to migrate basically. <laughs> Okay, Michael, so I want to uh, highlight um, our partners and sponsors uh, for this episode. So uh, in case you're looking for a job, you probably know that AWS expertise is in high demand. And so um, our partner Demican is hiring a senior lead full-stack developer working remotely from Germany or within the EU. And if your favorite technology stack includes things like JavaScript, TypeScript, Angular, or React... And of course, a lot of uh, AWS uh, for the backend and the infrastructure, then you should definitely check out um, this position at Demicon. And as well, our partner TechRacer is hiring, and they are looking for cloud consultants focusing on AWS and DevOps. So if you enjoy building infrastructure as code, uh, container, uh, run container workloads on AWS, then this is something for you. Um, join TechRacer in one of their offices in Hanover, Duisburg, Frankfurt, Hamburg, Munich, Vienna, Lisbon, uh, or Lucerne. So you will find both job descriptions and the possibility to apply for those in the show notes. All right, Andreas. So I have one lesson learned uh, from last week. And I, I mentioned it already that I was kind of looking into ways to migrate from code pipeline to GitHub Actions. And... I think one of the like I'm what I'm doing at the moment is I write a blog post about the topic, but I I want to share one thing that I learned, um, and and this is that Git the way GitHub Actions works is that you can either run like a, sh a script like a shell script or bash script, or you can invoke a GitHub action, and a GitHub action basically is a repository, and um, there are two GitHub Actions from AWS that you probably want to use if you migrate from Quote Pipeline to uh, GitHub Actions. or uh, And this is um, the one is about getting credentials and the other one is about deploying CloudFormation stacks. And the name of the action is AWS CloudFormation GitHub Deploy. And the first thing that I noticed that this, this repository is actually archived. So it no one is maintaining it <laughs> from AWS. Uh, which is not good. Uh, it's never good. If you, I mean, if you start using something and it's it's already not maintained, then it's probably not a good idea to use it in the first step. And then I uh, used it, and what you can see in GitHub Actions in the logs is that there are a couple of deprecation warnings. Um, one is about that they don't support Node 12 anymore as a runner uh, or runtime environment, so they, you should update to Node 16 um, because Node 12 is end of life. And there's also something about a outdated output method. I don't know. And um, basically, they um, say the maintainer has to update to a new version of their core library. So, problem is AWS is not doing this uh, because it's an archived repository. So what I did is I forked the repository in our uh, GitHub uh, organization, and it's a public fork, so you can use it as well. And I modernized it, so I fixed all the deprecation stuff, and I also added new features. So um, what the and I um, did uh, a couple of cleanup activities and stuff like that. So what I think uh, what is 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 definitely a superior um, way of deploying a cloud formation stack in GitHub Actions. And the cool feature that I added, and this is a lesson learned here, is that 
In GitHub Actions, steps in a job run sequentially, and in code pipeline, you can run them in parallel. And that's not possible in GitHub Actions uh, easily. So what I did in the CloudFormation GitHub Deploy action, I just kind of extended it to support deploying multiple stacks at the same time. So basically, I added uh, parallelization into the action, and now you can deploy uh, as many stacks as you wish, and you can also control the concurrency. So by default, it, it works on five stacks at a time, but you can modify these two units. Uh, so yeah, that's something that I learned that, like, I think one of the key pieces, if you want to have use GitHub Actions, is, is not maintained by AWS anymore. So definitely check out uh, our solution um, and feel free to open issues and stuff. So I'm, I'm working on this at the moment. So yeah, looking forward for feedback. That's my lesson learned, Andreas. Very cool, Michael. So, uh, wow, I think we, we had um, a lot of stuff already for this week's show. So we talked through a lot of announcements. So I would um, like to wrap it up, Michael. Yep. And um, so next week we are we will have a we will have a break. So there will no, no be there will not be a new Heart of the Cloud show next week. But the week after that, we will be back um, uh, on our weekly turn <laughs> with Hot of the Cloud, and we're looking forward to that. So, yeah, let us know what, you, um, what your thoughts are uh, on this week's episode. And also, don't forget to send us your questions. So all AWS-related questions, you know, use the hashtag AskCloudOnOut or send us a direct message or use the comments section, uh, whatever you like. Um, feel free to send in your questions. We're happy to and try to answer them uh, in the next show. So thank you very much, Michael. It was a pleasure. Yeah, um, thanks. thanks all for listening. Bye. Bye. Have a great day.